This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into an edition of Next Level, Inside Carolina's YouTube show that Greg Barnes and myself put together uh, weekly or just about every week for Inside Carolina subscribers to get a little deeper information into what goes around, on in Carolina sports or, or whatever, whatever the topic may be. Well, this week we recorded a show with Patrick Stevens of Discourse, at Discourse on Twitter. That's D1S Course. Patrick is a bracketologist, one of the best in the business, and he breaks down what should be the NCAA tournament field each week this time. You know you've heard it. You've heard all the bracketologists that they have. Greg Barnes mentions it during the show that you'll hear in just a minute, how many are out there, and Patrick Stevens is certainly one of the best. So check out Greg and I with Patrick. For this edition, we, like I said, we recorded it on Friday, so it was prior to North Carolina beating Virginia, but it is certainly still relevant as the Tar Heels travel to Tallahassee on Monday night to face Florida State in another must-win game for Carolina's NCAA tournament seeding purposes or even getting into the tournament at this point for the Tar Heels. So enjoy Greg Barnes, me, Tommy Ashley, and Patrick Stevens. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com as always, and certainly rate us, review us, subscribe on the YouTube channel, subscribe here on however you get your podcast feeds. We love to hear the feedback. Take care and enjoy the show. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Next Level YouTube show. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's the other host, Greg Barnes. We've got a special guest, and Greg, I'll let you get right into it with Mr. Patrick Stevens. Yeah, it's an old, familiar face, Tommy. I guess it's kind of the best way to describe this. Uh, if you're like me, uh, and when the ACC expanded, I don't know, what, 17, 18 years ago, and you had so many teams in the ACC trying to finagle positioning for the ACC tournament. Once you got to about this time of year, you started trying to figure out, okay, what are the seeding options here? Uh, and, and Patrick Stevens is the guy that everybody went to because Patrick's breakdown of the potential seeding options uh, were just so in-depth. And I, I still don't know how you did it, Patrick. But Patrick was the go-to trying to figure out those types of things. Um, and he he's continued to do that, but he's also – now doing uh, some bracket work for as a contributor to the Washington Post. And I say old familiar face. Uh, Patrick Stevens was a mainstay in the ACC back when, when Maryland was around. Uh, don't get to see Patrick quite as often these days, but regardless, he's one of the best at what he does uh, covering up in the Maryland area, especially when it comes to 
this time of year with whether it's ACC tournament seedings or particularly in the in the bracket uh, bracketology, if you will. I'm sure Patrick probably hates that that phrase, world. Uh, but Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Excuse me. <clears throat> so let's let's get straight into this. Uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina started the season as the preseason number one seed, number one ranked team. Uh, you know, whether or not they deserve that, I guess, is a, is a discussion that we can have, but we won't have that right now. Uh, as as Carolina sits here, less than ten days remaining in the regular season. Of course, you got the ACC tournament after that. Uh, there are a number of, of bracket projections out there that has North Carolina on the bubble. I would say probably the majority at this point in time has Carolina outside the bubble. When you look at this North Carolina team, what do you see in terms of their resume, and where do you have this team in your bracket? Yeah, Right now, I, I would have them on the outside in part because there's there's an obvious gaping hole, which is quadrant one victories. Like There's just no high-end victories really to speak of. They're 0-9 in those top-shelf games. They're 17-2 and in the rest. And as you size up the, the, the best victories that, that Carolina has based on the team sheet, you're talking about the home victory over NC State, uh, which is a nice win, the, the victory against the College of Charleston in the second week of the season, which I don't think anybody thought was going to be Carolina's second-best victory sitting here on February 24th, and then the neutral site victories over Michigan and Ohio State in the span of four or five days back in December. Uh, and, and Michigan is a borderline tournament team at best. And so that's actually sort of helpful for Carolina to have that bit of differentiation. Uh, and Ohio State has basically forgotten how to play basketball since the start of the new year. So uh, those that's what, what their resume is. Now, the good thing for Carolina is there's nothing on there that's terrible. I mean, the worst losses that they have, are pit at home by a point. So that sounds familiar. A bad loss, a semi bad loss to pit at home. Like it sounds a lot like last year, right? Uh, and then the loss at Wake Forest back on February 7th. So if you're Carolina, you don't have a whole lot of good to work with, but there's nothing bad, which at least keeps you in the conversation. And then you also have opportunities, which is, you know, Virginia at home this Saturday. Duke at home next Saturday, and then potentially maybe an interesting game or two in the ACC tournament, depending on how many games they're able to win. So if you're Carolina, I, I don't think you can feel like you, you would be in the field if, if the seat, if the postseason started right now, but at the very least you have opportunity to do something about it, which is something that a, a fair number of teams really don't have besides the option of you know going and winning their conference title. Patrick, we were talking a little bit off air before we got rolling here. I mean, Carolina's not much different than they were last year about this time. Maybe maybe it started to trend up already um, last year. But other than that, it's been this virtually the same basketball team we've seen for a couple, you could argue, three years now. Um, when you look at this resume, um, and you've been doing this a long time, Say Carolina wins out in, in the – they beat Virginia, and if folks are listening to this after the, the, the Virginia game, if they lost to Virginia, forget it. But if they beat Virginia, and then they, they obviously cannot lose to Florida State, no Correct. way, shape, or form, and then they beat Duke, at that point, going into the ACC tournament, does the resume change enough to make the ACC tournament about seeding versus in or out? 
I don't know if if that first game in the ACC tournament would be at that point. Obviously, there's a lot of variables. You know, everybody else is a variable in this, right? There's, you know, I could sit here and say there's 362 other variables, but in reality, it's not quite that many that really matter. But there's a lot of them out there. And so, you know, what they do is going to be dictated by what or what they what their situation is going to be dictated by other teams. But I would also tell you this, that the interesting thing to me about this season is that unlike most years where everybody talks about the bubble is soft, this, that, and the other. Like when you look at the teams that are sitting there right now at, at 30, 30, there's 36 at-large teams. So when you look at 35, 36, 37, 38 teams that are like West Virginia, for example, or uh, or a Penn State or somebody like that, those aren't awful teams. I'm not saying they're good teams, but they're not awful teams. The thing that's interesting about this year is everything falls off a cliff once you get down around 42, 44, somewhere like that. And so, you know, there's two ways that the field has pressure, from above and below. And you get pressure from above when you have teams like Virginia Tech last year win the ACC tournament, when you have a Georgetown in the Big East or an Oregon State in the Pac-12 two years ago win their conference tournaments. And then you get pressure from below when you have a team make a run but not win their conference tournament, but there's a team kind of lurking on the outside. You know, maybe an example of that in the ACC this year might be potentially a Wake Forest, although I think they're just about out of chances to improve their lot in life outside of the conference tournament. So there's not that many teams that are likely to be able to surge into the field that aren't in there right now or wouldn't be close to in there, not in the conversation. And so I think that's something that helps. You're basically rooting against a bid snatcher out of other leagues. So if you're Carolina, if you can simply handle some business, you're in decent shape. Once you're in the ACC tournament, let's let's pretend you're, we're, we're given the scenario here. They beat Virginia and they beat Duke. And they certainly win that must-win game against Florida State. At, at that point, you, you're, they're probably in a spot where they don't want to do anything dumb. So don't lose the 8-9 or the 7-10 game or whatever it is that you're in at that point. And at that point, you lose to – let's say you, you get a split and you lose to, say, the one or the two seed on Thursday in Greensboro – you know, that's not going to hurt you that much. You lose to Miami, you lose to Virginia, you lose to Pitt on a neutral floor. That doesn't really damage you. It doesn't help you, but doesn't damage you. So, you know, what they can do here over the last three games of the regular season is minimize what they actually have to do once they get to Greensboro next month. Yeah, you sort of went where I was going there um, about stealing bids. And it's been a long time since North Carolina's had to worry about somebody popping up in a random conference, um, beating the one seed and stealing a bid. But I guess Carolina could be considered to be one of those teams. Mm-hmm. They could steal a bid from somebody else at this point. Um, when you look at the resume, and, and you've done it a lot, and quite frankly, I'll be honest, I don't pay a whole lot of attention across the country that much. But has there ever been a team at this point in the season, if you can remember, that has zero quad one wins that is an I- at-large team? Uh, at this point in the season, it's probably it's probably not too many of those teams out there. One one of the things, and I'd have to go look at this just to be sure, because I'm 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 blanking on how tight how good this team's profile was. But I think back to a couple of the teams that got a little clemency from the selection committee in 2019 and 2021: Belmont and Drake, uh, teams that were real had a ton of wins. Maybe not a lot of heft at the top of the profile, but we're sitting there at 29 and three or something like that, or or 26 and four. 
and had done well and it just happened to trip up in their conference final against other really good teams uh, in, in traditional one-bid leagues. Uh, the, the Missouri Valley obviously has had its share of multi-bid years. Um, so I, I think that would be kind of the example you would set. If we're sitting here saying, can you think of somebody in a power conference that had all those opportunities and sim- simply didn't take advantage of them, then the answer is it's not coming to mind off the top of my head. And more, you know, more to the point, I mean, the committee does kind of look at, you know, how many opportunities did you have to distinguish yourself? And there's a big difference between being 0-2 or 0-1 in quad one games and being 0-9 or 0-10 or 0-11. Yeah, I think the guys at uh, BartTorvik.com, you know, the Atlantic, the analytics site, they actually, to the best of their ability, applied kind of the net formula that they came up with to the old RPI to kind of see if they could figure out the answer to that question. And I think they said there was a couple of times where maybe somebody didn't have a Q1 win or the equivalent thereof, uh, but it's very rare. Uh, so, so, so you're right on that, Patrick. And, and that's, and essentially I suspect that those cases are also, you know, sort of quantity finding a way to outweigh quality at that point where it's just so overwhelming. Like I'll, I'll give you a team, you know, we, we mentioned them a little earlier, a team that might be in that quality quantity scenario here in a couple of weeks is college Charleston. Who's sitting there right now? They're twenty-seven and three. One of those was a non-D one win, uh, but it's not hard to imagine that if you're trying to find that one team that maybe doesn't have a lot of oomph at the top of the profile because their victories in that in that Charleston Classic back in November haven't proven to be as valuable as we all thought they were going to be. There's a Virginia Tech in there, for example. Uh, but that having been said, like if they're sitting there on Selection Sunday and they're 30 and 30 and four or whatever it is, you know, that's going to be a team that's probably going to get a look and wouldn't be stunned if it was a team that got shipped off to Dayton, if, if it, if it needed an at large bit that, that to me almost is the big wild card that's floating around out there like two weeks in advance. Now, maybe they're not, and they just win the CAA and it's, and I'm just kind of blowing smoke at this point, but that might be at this point, the team that I think might be able to cause the most consternation for everybody on selection Sunday. And I think Charleston may be the the second highest ranked team in the net that Carolina has beaten this year. Correct. Uh, along those lines, you've covered uh, ACC basketball for a long time. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that the ACC every year had the benefit of what, say, the Big 12 has this year. And that pretty much once you get into conference play, every time you take the court, it's either a Q1 mm-hmm. or a Q2. Uh, I'm trying to think back. I think in 2019, when UNC had, you know, they got, they got the number one seed. I think they had either 11 or 13 Q1 wins, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, now, last two years, the ACC teams have really been scrambling to find Q1 games in conference play. Uh, so, as somebody who has watched this game, watched this conference, uh, for so many years, is that kind of an accurate representation of what the ACC has become? Uh, do you think the ACC is down? I guess is probably the question <laughs> it, I'm asking. It, it, it is the popular question. You know, I had somebody ask me this yesterday, and and, and or said something. The question was effect, to the effect: Is this the worst that you've seen the ACC? And I, I said, No, that it was worse last year. Quite frankly, um, you know, part of the issue this year is. You look at one through 14 compared to one through 14 last year. I think it's better. I think 15 is horrific. 
Like that 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 is dead weight sitting there in Louisville right now. Like that is if we're sitting here coming up with a list of the worst ACC teams of the last 40, 45 years or so, like that Louisville team is going to be near the top of the list with the winless Pitt team in league play, the winless BC team, um, the first Jeff Bizdelic team at Wake Forest, among, among others, going back, you can go back a ways and even bring up uh, the initial Georgia Tech offerings in the ACC way back when. <laughs> uh, but I think that when you look at it, part of, part of the issue is, is this gets baked into the cake once you get into non, once you're in non-conference play, right? Like if you don't pick up enough high-end victories, like if you're Carolina, your profile looks a lot different, even if you just won that four-overtime game against Alabama, right? Like, I mean, if, if we're sitting here looking at, at, at Carolina right now, oh, but they beat Alabama so on a neutral floor. So that proves something, right? You know, and so I think when you compare this year to last, like last year at this time, you know, we knew Duke was a we knew Duke was a tournament team. You know, Notre Dame had a bunch of victories over bad teams, and we're like, how good is Notre Dame really, right? And then you would look at a uh, you know what um, Carolina was kind of a questionable thing at that point. Uh, Virginia Tech was not somebody that we thought was going to be a tournament team uh, at that stage, uh, and then you look at Miami, which was kind of getting cheated a little bit in the metrics, but you had all these questions like right now, nobody's questioning whether Duke's a tournament team or Virginia's a tournament team or NC state's a tournament team or Miami's a tournament team or Pitt's a tournament team. And if we're being candid, like I think everybody would agree that even though they're not sure things as tournament teams, that Clemson, Wake Forest and Carolina all have something to sort of sell at this point maybe not as much on the win side with Carolina but we would sit there and say that yeah these are probably nationally speaking top 50 to 55 type teams so we've taken care of a good chunk of the league right there right like we've taken care of six seven eight nine teams saying yeah there's 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 something to work with here and I think that's a better spot than where we were in last year everybody just forgets that because oh look there was a team in a national title game and two teams in the final four and three teams in the elite eight and all is forgiven and people are making a bigger deal out of three or four or five games in March as compared to, you know, what we saw over the course of November, December, January, February, and the first half of March. So I do think the league is actually better this season, especially if you factor out team number 15. Uh, but it also, to go back to your point, it, it's not where it was when they had three number one seeds a few years back. It, it just It just simply is not. And a lot of that was essentially established in non-conference play uh, when teams did not pick up high-end victories. I mean, he, I mentioned the Carolina thing. You know, Duke picked up a couple losses early. Miami lost to Maryland uh, in non-conference play, which is not a not a bad loss by any stretch. But, you know, those are the things that you stack, and suddenly you're in, in fairly decent shape. And even sort of when you look at, at you know, obviously it goes further down the board, you start looking at some of the losses that were picked up by the teams at the bottom of the league. That helps drag you down too. Every game counts, you know. Unfortunately, you know every game. You know if you're if you're a if you're looking at a league, yeah, the first place teams games count too. But all those losses Louisville, you know, chalked up in November and December, yeah, they count too and help drag you down. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? 
And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, in preparing for the Notre Dame game the other night, uh, I noted that Notre Dame uh, has not beaten a team ranked in the top 200 of Ken Palm mm. since November. Uh, granted, they've had a lot of close games, so they've probably played better than that, but that, that's, that's a hard number. Uh, you bring up a good point, and this is something that we've discussed a lot at Inside Carolina on the, on the message boards, um, is that the way the net is set up, and I know we don't know the actual formula, but the NCAA has said that it, it values every game the same, like you say. So if you play you know, the second week of November, that game counts just as much as the game that Carolina's going to play Saturday against Virginia. The way that conference schedules have expanded, and the ACC in particular is up to 20 games now, to where ACC play starts the first week of December. Um, once you get into conference play, the conference is kind of locked, and you don't mm-hmm. have those out-of-conference opportunities to improve and say, hey, even though we started slow in non-conference play, we're better now. Is that a negative downside to the net system, or is there any way around that? that you yeah, I mean – it. The argument I always offer to that is, is if we're, if we're, if you don't want to count games in November, then don't start playing until January, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to play, play. Now, one of the things you can do is you can take the old John Thompson Jr. approach and say, I'm not going to play anybody good, which has its own drawbacks if you're not good enough to overcome it. But you can do that if you want to. Uh, but, I, you know, I think even when you go back to the RPI days, it's been a while since like last 10 or last 12 games was a criteria for the committee. And, and so, you know, I think when you size that up, it's kind of hard. You get, that is a true slippery slope. Do, do we want to negate, you know, think back to, think back to, I think it was, um, which Carolina title team was it that went out to Maui and lost to Santa Clara on the way out there? Right. Five, like, man. okay. So, so, you know, like that game, obviously, they weren't right that night, all that, but that game still counts, you know, and it counts. And the other thing you want to do there too is, okay, let's suppose Santa Clara that year had been a borderline tournament team. Well, we're not going to say it's a big deal for Carolina that game, but that game really counts for Santa Clara. Like you, it has to, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It has to count for everybody. Uh, So I think one thing that, that, that I've kind of bemoaned here over the last 20, 25 years is that you used to have random non-conference games in January and February. And how awesome were they, right? Like you'd see, you'd see North Carolina play Oklahoma in the middle of, in the middle of February, you'd have a Duke Arizona game. I feel like that was played at the Meadowlands like three times when I was growing up, you know? Uh, So, you know, those, those sorts of things. And so, you know, I think there would be value in building space into a conference schedule where 
and this is across the board. And because, of course, you have television network synergy, like you could probably massage that, right? Where, you, you know, if you had the, the schools that have ESPN contracts might be inclined to not really have a specific challenge. Obviously, the ACC, SEC challenge is coming next year, uh, but something middle of the season uh, that, that has a little bit of variability to it. I do think that would help everybody. I think, And I think it would break things up a little bit. I don't know how coaches feel about that. Coaches like to get in that routine where they're just playing Wednesday, Saturday, just about every week, and all they have to worry about is, is conference games. Uh, but I think that that is something that, that we miss as college basketball fans is just those sort of intersectional games that are just pl- popped in there. And obviously it was a lot easier to schedule those when you had 14 conference games rather than 20. Yeah, I mean, uh, what was the Big 12 SEC challenge mm-hmm. um, in the middle of January? Uh, you know, I, I agree. I like those games. I remember back in the day, like you mentioned, Carolina used to do that. The conference used to do that. Now now it just seems like a slog watching ACC games, especially when you've got teams like Louisville in the bottom of the barrel um, teams out there. But l- let me ask you as far as um, – I don't want to call it a lifetime achievement award, but you've been following this a lot. Is the NCAA prone to, A, sort of do something like that if Carolina can win out in the regular season, um, and not just Carolina but other teams, and say have like Carolina and Kentucky and Dayton? I mean, that uh, seems like that would be a big deal. See, I, I am not a conspiracy theorist when it comes <laughs> to the bracket. And, and let me explain to you part of the reason why. You know, part of, part of it is, is people say, you're just super rational and, you, and you're willing to believe, with, okay, fine. But let's set this aside. The committee spends an inordinate amount of its time in that week. They get together, what, Tuesday or Wednesday in New York, and they're there through, through you know, Sunday evening. An inordinate amount of the time seeding the field and not very much time actually bracketing the field. Like, that bracket gets thrown together Sunday afternoon. And it's just, doot, 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 doot. and the next thing, you know, you're trying to avoid conference matchups and rematches and stuff like that. But there is not that much time, I don't think, that is spent on actually like sizing up, well, gosh, you know, let's see what we can do pairing these teams together. You know, and obviously every time that Kansas and North Carolina end up anywhere in the vicinity of each other, it's like, oh, look, they're trying to set up Carolina and Kansas again, right? And we could come up with any number of teams that are along those lines. Um, I happen to also think, by the way, on your specific example, that Kentucky has probably done enough in the last week or so that they're not in much danger of ending up in Dayton. And this is sort of the the example of what happens when you have opportunity, uh, especially in a year where, you know, the edge of the field and a little bit beyond it isn't particularly strong. So Kentucky just went and beat Mississippi State and Tennessee and Florida and went from one or two quad one wins to five quad one wins. There might have been another team that played its way in in that span. Uh, to a quad one game. And now all of a sudden, instead of us wondering, well, is Kentucky going to even make the tournament? It's like, all right, you know, which poor one or two seed is going to be stuck staring at a second round game against Kentucky at this stage. Uh, So like, I feel like they're probably like in the, in the seven, eight, nine range at this stage, but I I don't think there's too much time spent worrying about that. I, I think in particular, when you're trying to select the teams and select the right teams to send to Dayton, like there, there's value in saying, hey, we do not want anybody to have to play an extra game. I mean, it's just a fairness issue, right? Like you want the last four teams that are at-large teams being in that thing and not being stuck, you know, or, or being able to, you know, let me, let me rephrase that. 
Uh, you don't want to have a team that deserves to be straight into the field of 60, the round of 64, stuck playing an extra game. Let, let me ask you a question, and we're talking to Patrick Stevens, of course, bracketology expert. You're, you're my favorite one so far. Uh, I'd love to talk about Maryland, you know, because okay. I miss Maryland in the ACC, but that's just me. But let me ask you this about that Dayton setup, and this is something that I've always thought was ridiculous. Why does the NCAA, in your mind, put conference champions in Dayton? Yeah, that's unfair. That's unfortunate. Um, And the reason they do it, frankly, is because the idea of selling to TV for, you know, uh, essentially you have the choice between trying to sell TV games that involve teams that nobody wants to watch unless they're really college basketball junkies or trying to sell to your your higher end membership your power conferences like yeah you know you're gonna all have to play an extra game if you're at the edge of the field and so what wins out shockingly for once tv doesn't win out right so you know tv doesn't get the get the four games it probably would prefer in that spot i think it's unfair uh, to see a team that say wins the the MIAC or wins the Big South or wins the Southland have to play an extra game. This year is going to mark the tenth consecutive tournament that the Northeast Conference champion plays in Dayton or in the play-in round. Um, and so it's all on the bright side for those leagues. And there is an upshot here because the NCAA turn NCA doles out. It's units, basically. It's a six-year process where people get a slice of money for every game that a team plays in. So everybody gets one unit out of the shoot because they have an automatic bid. But if you win that play-in game, that counts the same as winning in a League 8 game. So if you're a MEAC or a Big South or a Big Sky or whatever, and you win a play-in game, that's actually a windfall. So there's actually a little bit of value that comes with it. But if we're sitting here wondering what's equitable, frankly – you know, I think that should probably be your last four or eight or however many at-larges uh, that should be out there. And, and by the way, you know, if we did have that scenario, we would have a seriously different alternate history because there is no way back in 2018 that we would have seen UMBC on the 16 line. You would have had teams get bumped up out of Dayton, and that would have been somebody else that would have been playing Virginia and Charlotte. And we wouldn't have that 16 over one bit of history. So, you know, I don't know if, if, if Virginia or UMBC uh, would, would, have, uh, would have wanted a different scenario. Uh, but I do think that in an equitable world, that those teams that earned their moment wouldn't be, wouldn't be sent off to play a Tuesday or Wednesday night in Dayton. And then basically, you know, the losers be done before the tournament starts in the eyes of most folks a couple days later. Patrick, I've got one more question for you. But before I ask, uh, I meant to say this earlier. Uh, there are so many uh, news outlets and just individuals who are coming up with brackets these days that there is a website called bracketmatrix.com and bra- bra- bracketmatrix.com actually uh, shares what everybody who's putting out a bracket uh, has and they update it weekly. There's 148 different websites and news outlets doing brackets. It'll be even higher once you get to Selection Sunday. It's usually north of 200 at this point. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, I'll bring that up because uh, the the best bracket in 2021, according to bracketmatrix.com, was Patrick Stevens. So that's a uh, that speaks to Patrick's knowledge. Patrick can be found at uh, at discourse on Twitter. That is D one course. So I like the, uh, I've always liked that, that username for sure. Uh, Patrick, before we get you out of here, 
Let's take a broad look at the uh, NCAA tournament. Are we pretty set with who the kind of the, the top four seeds are going to be at this point in time, or is there some some teams outside of those top four that have a good chance to kind of work their way in here the last two weeks? I think there's some wiggle room. There's there's probably, I, I, especially now that we've seen we've seen Baylor lose, we've seen Tennessee continue to find ways to lose. Uh, we saw Virginia lose to Boston College the other night. Uh, I, I'm reluctant to say this definitively, but it sure looks like there's really only seven teams that are going to end up on the top line right now. So you have the the ones that were on the committee reveal last week, which was, uh, I believe, in order, Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas. Uh, and then you have the two Pac-12 teams, Arizona and UCLA. I, I can't imagine both of them would end up on the top line, but one of them could. They still play each other at, at Poly Pavilion next weekend. Uh, and they also, there's a good chance they'll play each other in Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, and then Texas is the other team, I think, that finds itself in that mix right now, too. So I think it's those seven. Um, Kansas just have has gobs and gobs and gobs of quadrant one wins at this point. They have 13 of them. Nobody else has more than nine. And, and that's kind of what's holding you know, kind of keeping them there in that spot, even if they have a few extra losses compared to an Arizona. Uh, and, and I think Texas, again, we talk about opportunity. Well, you got some opportunities at the end of that league. We were talking about earlier how every game you go out there, like there's no place to hide in the Big 12. You know, there's all, it's just all good games. Like even is the place to hide playing a home game against Oklahoma? I mean, a team that just beat Alabama by 25 or so a month or so ago. So you know, there's opportunities there for a Texas and maybe even for a Baylor if it if it wins out from here. Uh, but I, I don't think we're going to see anybody beyond that top seven, maybe eight, uh, be able to get to the top line. That is Patrick Stevens, D1 Scores at D1 Scores at Twitter. Uh, great guy. Great, great show. Or discourse, here. however you want to. Discourse. Don't worry. I've, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I can't be. I can't tell you the number of times <laughs> that I've had to explain it or heard, heard it mangled. It's like whatever. Like I think it's I mean, great. Yeah. At this, at this stage, I'm just too lazy to change it. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think the picture's been changed either in about 14 or 15 years. The picture on there is me at the 2008 Humanitarian Bowl. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a little bit of time. So. Yeah, it might be time to update that one. That would. That's the Bluefield, though. That's the Bluefield. And that's basically why it's there. <laughs> Great stuff, Patrick. It's hey, been Inside Carolina's Next Level. Looking at the NCAA tournament, what North Carolina has to do to break into the field. Whew. Preseason number one to, what is it, February 24th. We're talking about Carolina needs to find a way in. Greg Barnes, Tommy Ashley, Johnny T-Shirt, and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me, fellas. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.